I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to take out a piece of paper. You're going to need paper and a pen today. I have an extra pen right here. You will want a piece of paper and a pen. And I want to ask you, you're going to write this in own privacy of your own paper. If you could have anything you wanted right now, anything you wanted, what would you want? I want you to write it on your piece of paper. No one else is going to see it. I want you to be honest about it. I want you to put down what you really think. Okay? So I'm really, I'm serious about this. If it's a car, put a car. If it's a husband, put a husband. If it's a wife, put a wife. But I want you to be serious about this. What would you like to have more than anything else in all the world? You write it down. Um, it's absolutely essential that um, boy Jim can you help me untangle this here brother somebody that'll wake you up you cannot go to sleep today okay what I'm going to share with you today is absolutely essential that you get it Lord, that not one person here today would fall short in the area that we're going to talk about today. God, it is a matter of our life and death. It's a matter of either you using us or putting us on a shelf. And so, God, I just ask and pray in your name, Jesus, that you grab hold, reach down right now and grab hold of each heart and get their attention. Get my attention with what you want to say today. This is not fun and games, Lord. This is the most important time right now, up until this point of our lives, right now. We are making history right now. We'll never get this time back. And this time, that will be history tonight, could change our future. Our future rests and falls, rises and falls on your truth today. In Jesus' name, Amen. You know, sometimes, I don't know, it's easy not to take preachers serious. They seem to say that about everything. That's because we're serious about everything. I like to laugh, but when it comes to God's Word, I'm serious about it. No, no punches pulled. This book is your life. The things we share with you are your life. The things I say to you, I never say lightly. I mean exactly what I say. And I want to share something with you today that I really do believe is the most important thing in all the Christian world, in all your Christian life, that you get a hold of and that you understand. Now I want you to look at your paper. I want you to look what you put. And I want to tell you what I believe, biblically, is the most important commodity in the world. The most important thing. I want it more than anything else. It's a five-letter word, and it's called grace. G-R-A-C-E. Grace. Now, you may or may not have had that on your paper, but if you didn't, put a little extra to what you put 
And you put G-R-A-C-E at the top of your paper. And if you already had it, put it twice. G-R-A-C-E. Because we're going to talk about getting more grace. You know, it's in everything in our Christian life, everything that we do, everything that God asks us to do, if you do not have God's grace, you're a lost case. There's just no hope for you. There's no hope. Now, the Bible tells us that we have received grace when we came to know Christ. My Bible also tells me there's a greater grace. There's more grace. And we're going to look at that today. And I want you to look at the book of John. John, if you would. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Do you know this, this subject shows up in an overwhelming amount when you compare it to the Old and the New Testament. It is hardly even mentioned in the Old Testament, although it is. But the New Testament is flooded with it. Absolutely flooded with this subject. God's grace, grace is God's secret power for your life. And it is not automatic. Hebrews 4.16, stay with me now. Come on, come on, stay with me now. You've heard that before, haven't you? Aerobics instructor. All right, Hebrews 4.16. If they can use it, I can use it. Hebrews 4 and verse 16. What does it say that God's throne is? It says that our God's throne is a throne of grace. It is a throne of grace. Now, I want to I just explain to you a little bit what grace is. I, I like to keep my definition simple. It's really very simple. Grace is unmerited favor all the time, for whatever reason. You do not get grace, and we're going to look at this later, but you must be convinced of this today. You've got to believe what I'm telling you. You do not get grace because of your righteous living. You do not get grace because of your great track record that you take to God and say, Oh God, God, look at what I've done. God, I have been in Thy Word. Oh God, I have honored Thee. Oh God, bless me. That's not how you get grace. The law came through Moses. Conditional blessing came through Moses. Grace came through Jesus Christ. And it is unmerited. It says here in Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 16, that let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. For Hebrews says, we have not come to the mountain that we must shake and tremble. That was the Old Testament. But we have come to God. You see? And boldly into the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and grace to help. And mercy is never what you deserve. It's what you don't deserve. It's like the guy. Mercy is this. It's like the joker friend of yours that always thinks he knows everything. And one day he goes out on the ice playing Mr. Big Shot and he falls through. And he deserves everything he got. He deserved it. That jerk serves him right. I hope he freezes. You know? Grace is extending that hand and pulling the jerk out of the river even though he didn't deserve it. That's mercy. That's mercy. That's mercy. And we come to God. you remember the two guys that came to God and the Pharisee? Can you imagine this? There really are people this way and believe it or not, friends, you at times think this way. Oh God, I thank Thee that I am not like this man. For I tie the tenth of everything that I receive. And oh God, I wish my hands before every meal. Lord, I pray before every meal. 
I sanctify the food, O God. And I know a jest or an unkind word cometh from my mouth. O God. And here's the other guy. O God! Be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm a wretch. I blew it. I know it. Help me. And God says, whose prayer did God hear? That guy, you see, that person, me, that's me. That's what my life is like. You know what Romans tells us? When sin abounds, grace does much more abound. You're not believe. You know, uh, the devil, he's alive and well. He's always working on me as well as he is on you. I got his attention, believe me. And he, he works and he tempts and I fall and I sin and I get impatient. Sometimes right before I have to come and speak. Oh my. God can't bless them, can He? Because God can't use me at work because, you know, I, I did blow it. I got upset one day at work. I'm never going to open my mouth to share Christ with anyone because, boy, I really blew it. Well, the devil's got you. You believed his lie. God doesn't work that way. Some of the most powerful times God has used me has been right on the heels of my sin. But you see, I, don't, I believe in grace. I believe in it. I live in it. And I want to wallow in it more this year than I ever have in my life before. God has got rich grace that He wants to give to you. The question is, do you really want it? The question is, do you really think you need it? I want to just go through some passages. You write them down. We're not going to look at them. But I want you to write down 2 Timothy 2.1. God wants you to be strong in grace. That's what that verse says. God wants you to be a muscle man in grace. Write down 2 Peter 3, verse 18. God wants you to grow in grace. 2 Peter 3, 18. God wants you to grow in grace. The effects of grace. Now, you're really going to have to write. I don't usually do this, but I want to do this today, so stay with me. The effects of grace. Acts 4, 33. Great power. Acts 15, 11. Brings salvation. Acts 20.32 builds you up. Romans 5, 15-17 brings power and the ability to reign in your life. Scribble, scribble, scribble. Romans 6.14 This is a good one. It breaks the back of sin in your life. 1 Corinthians 1, 4 and 5 it enriches us in every way. In speech and in knowledge. 1 Corinthians 15.10 Whatever we are and will become will be by the grace of God. God's grace will make you a hard worker. First, 2 Corinthians 1.12 it produces holiness and sincerity. 2 Corinthians 4.15 It produces thanksgiving. 2 Corinthians 8.1 It produces overflowing joy and rich generosity. 2 Corinthians 8.9 It produces sacrificial living and sacrificial giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 
Grace gives you whatever you need to do whatever you should, the ability to do all things. Grace gives you whatever you need to do whatever you should, the ability to do all things. 2 Corinthians 12.9 God's grace can get you through anything. Ephesians 1.7 Redemption and forgiveness. 2 Thessalonians 2.16 Eternal encouragement and good hope. Titus 2.11 and 12 It teaches you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Hebrews 13.9 Grace gives us strength. Grace is our greatest treasure. Imagine this now, if you would, turn with me to 2 Corinthians in chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Personally, my advice to you would be to go home, take those verses, in the next 31 days, memorize every single one of them. If you really want to grab hold and leave a lasting impression about what was shared today, that's what I would do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says this, in verse 7, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weakness, in insult, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties for when I'm weak then I'm strong. Now, I'll tell you one way that you'll know if you really believe what I'm saying. When is the last time you were proud about your difficulties, about your weakness? It's hard, isn't it, for you to share with people the struggles in your life. You know why it's hard? You know why it's hard? It's not your personality. It's because you don't believe this. You don't believe that God's grace comes to perfection through weakness. And it's sufficient for you for whatever you need. God's grace. God's grace. God's grace. Grace, grace. Marvelous grace. Grace that was greater than all my sin. God's grace is a priceless commodity. And it is the most valuable thing that you have, that you can lay your hands on. But I just want you to know, you have not tapped it all. You have not tapped all of God's grace. I have not. I am expecting this year in 1988 to tap more of God's grace than ever in my life before. To tap it. To tap it. To tap it. To do more. To be more. To excel more. To experience more power in my life. More joy in my life. More thanks in my life. Through the power of God's grace. And I want that to be your experience, brother and sister. Do you know that there is no difference between you and I? 
There is no difference. You've got to get that through your head. There is no difference. Male or female, my personality or yours, there is no difference. You can do what I'm doing up here. You want to know how God's grace works? One of the ways in my life, one of the ways, and it had to be God's grace. I have problems with my mouth. For those of you that don't know me real well, my father used to tell me, Mark, someday your mouth's going to get you in trouble. And you know my father was right. I have been reproved more about my mouth than probably all of you put together in this room since I've been walking with the Lord 11 years. you know how hard it is to believe that a guy like that could ever be up here sharing with you? You think you've got struggles. You think you need God's grace. That's all ever here. Mark, you did this wrong. Mark, you didn't say that right. Mark, Mark, your mouth. And I used to just go home and, God, what am I going to do about my mouth? You know, what am I going to do? And I'd concentrate on the mouth and I've gotten verses at home, tons of them, on the mouth, on the tongue. And one day God gave me this promise. I want to share it with you in Isaiah chapter 49. It's one of my favorite promises. This is my life promise. I believe this. And I believe this is just the beginning. In Isaiah 49, I'll read it to you. You can write it down. Isaiah 49, verse 1. You can claim it too. There's never enough people claiming God's promises. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From birth, He has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of His hand, He hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in His quiver. And He said, You're my servant, Mark, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, Oh Lord, I've labored for no purpose. I spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Don't get me nowhere. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now says the Lord who formed me in the womb to bring his people back, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and God has been my strength. He said, Mark, it's too small a thing for me just to use you in Ames, Iowa, but I want to use you all over the world. I'll make you a light all over the world that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. I believe that, and I believe I'm just beginning to see the fulfillment of that, and it will take my lifetime till I die, but I believe God is going to do that. I believe it. I believe it. And I remember thinking about that. God, I, I do. I have trouble with my mouth, Lord. I seem to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. I seem to not know what to say. I seem to just want to say something when there's deadness and silence. And, and Lord, I just don't know what to do. It doesn't seem like I have control of my mouth, Lord. How are you ever going to feed many people through my mouth, Lord? And then something happened. You know what I did? I want you to write this down. You've got you to gotta spell this. This is a very interesting spelling. Okay? Tend the roots, R-O-O-T-S, and God, tend the roots, let me read this, I wrote it down, so I wouldn't forget it, and there will be fruits, F-R-O-O-T-S. Tend the roots, and there will be fruits. Kind of like toots, only fruits. You got that? You'll never forget it. I know you won't ever forget that now because of that spelling. So I quit worrying about my mouth because I realized that it was from God, a weakness that God gave me, and that God said He was for me anyway, and that God would give me His grace, and that God was behind me, and it unlocked a whole new... I cannot tell you. Only you see today what God has done in my life and what He will do in the future. And I have people today come up to me all the time and they cannot believe that I've never been to college, that I've not, not ever been to college for anything, 
They don't believe it. God is revealing His splendor and I'm waiting for Him to do it to the nations. And I believe that. I believe that. God must have men and women who are tired, who give up, getting down on their weaknesses and say, that's right God, i got a problem with my mouth, so use me, here I am. I trust your grace. Use me. Use me. Here I am God, send me. Moses had problems with his mouth. Jeremiah had problems with his mouth. So I was in good company. And so were you. So are you. Whatever your weakness, God's grace is the solution. I remember one time a few years ago, you know, my wife, my wife seems to have, my wife, we were in a bad accident a few years back, eight years back, nine, ten, about ten. And she's been having problems ever since. She went from this, you know, picture of health and vitality and, and runner on the Iowa State cross country team and, and uh, she's still the picture of health and vitality, only her looks can be a little deceiving because inside uh, she's not always real well. And you'd never know it. Some of you would never know it. Some of my, oftentimes my wife will come to things and if you felt the way she felt, you'd be home in bed thinking you were going to die. And that's not a lie. And Kathy has learned to live supernaturally. For me, it's been a tremendous example. And I mean that Supernaturally. God's grace is supernatural. Doesn't God's grace does not come into operation in your life until it's something you couldn't do. You remember last year? You remember the morning? Some of you remember this. I showed up here white as a ghost. I mean, I was so sick. I had gotten food poisoning the night before. It was on, it's coming up. It was on my wife's birthday. And I got sick. And Brent was out of town. and I didn't know what he had to call. And I had the old class and then band and then this. And I, was, I had been up all night, throwing up, sick, fever. But God, you've got to help me. And I felt myself dragging here. You know, God, you've got to help me. And you know, even though I looked like a ghost, God used it. I could let my fears, my inhibitions, oh God, I can't, I don't look my best. Oh God, I might you know, get sick on the stage or something. You know? But God, you've got to use me. And God, I know you want to use me now. So God, I'll go. And I didn't, really feel into it but boy I had a number of people boy did God use that in my life and we had people praying my wife called some friends and names and they were praying and God had helped and God helped God comes through and my wife one night when I was at Zap this has been a few years back some of you know my story a little bit and she called she wanted to call she was home crying her back hurt so bad we had three children at the time and there's demands there you know when you're a mommy you'll find this out when you're a mommy and you get more than one. You just don't go out for lunch. You know, you just don't hang up the phone. Okay, kids, time out. Mom's leaving for three hours. I'm checking out. Going to the moon. You are a servant. I'll tell you, my wife's such an example of a servant. And my kids, you know, um, they're wonderful children, but they have needs. Jessica was smaller then. Cried, need her diaper change, need fed. And one night my wife sitting in the living room. She said, Mark, I... When I got home that night, about 2 in the morning, she got up and told me, she said, you know, I was in the living room night crying. She said, I just, boy, I tell you, I felt miserable. I wanted you home so bad. You know, you know why it's how that is. Oh, honey, don't leave. You just can't leave me with the kids. I got to, y'all please stay home. You know. I love what Jim says. He says, Barb, you got to help her. Just call him to help her. That's what he's for. And that's how he feels sometimes. Help. Boy, I tell you, we got to grow in this area. And then Kathy said, you know, Mark, it struck me. I stopped crying. It just hit me. What I'm saying to God, God, I don't want any more of your grace. And she said, that ended it right there. 
She said, I absolutely want more grace. I want to go from grace to grace. You can do more. You can do more than you ever thought. Carrie, is Carrie here? Carrie's not here. Carrie Lichty, Lanny's wife, used to live with my wife and I. And I remember when I was going to take that second job, I was going to be working about 70 hours a week. And she said, Mark, you can't do that. You just can't do that. <laughs> I mean, it'll kill you. I mean, you're going to be so shot. You're going to be so worn out. I said, well, Carrie, I said, first of all, a guy's got to do what a guy's got to do. <laughs> you know, I came from a famous play. Man's got to do what a man's got to do. I was in that, in that place called Annie, get your gun. And then I said, secondly, Carrie, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And thirdly, those are the cards that God has dealt me. And I absolutely, if he doesn't come through, you're right, I'll die. I don't know what I'll do. My family will fall apart. I'll fall apart. God has got to come through. And you know what? God did. And that was one of the most milestone enriching experiences of my life. And I learned during that period of my life that I could call on this body to do more than I ever dreamed. That I could go farther than I ever imagined. That God could use me, a prisoner of my circumstances, to affect the church. Even though the church didn't, wasn't around me. And I wasn't around the church. And these little ripplings would get back. I'd have people visit me. And, you know, it's like, what's happening to Mark? You know, what's happening to Mark? You know, man, alive. And before I knew it, I'd get this phone call. And then after that, it was phone call after phone call after phone call. If we will trust God for His grace. Now, I want to share with you how you're going to tap this grace. And this is very important. If you need to switch babysitters, go. Uh, I just want to, I want to make this together. It won't be much longer. But if you need to switch, go ahead and give those if you signed up a break. All right, then go on up. This is part two, unleashing God's supernatural resource. Unleashing God's supernatural resource. Lord, help us with our mind, with our attention span. Lord, keep us here. Lord, keep our heart here. Keep us attentive to your word. Help us not to let one word fall to the ground. Revolutionize our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I want you to turn, if you would, to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. There's four things I want to cover here. The first one is in James chapter 4. I want to ask you this question. How did you get saved? How did you get saved? How did you get saved? Did you keep the Ten Commandments? Did you memorize the Levitical law and do it all? Did you abide by... Did you clean your life up before you got saved? Boy, I didn't. Mine was a mess. Mine was a mess, absolutely a mess. Many of you know what that's like. It was a mess. I didn't clean my life up. You know what I did? I humbled myself through faith and God poured His grace into my life. Now, you remember what I told you this morning? Pride will kill you. You cannot afford, brother and sister, I cannot afford, and I ask for your prayer in this, with my relationship with Brent, as we strive together, I cannot afford an iota of pride in my life. You cannot afford an iota of pride in your life. Lest that little seed begin to grow. And one day before you know it, you are a proud, arrogant individual. But you know the interesting thing about pride is that it's so subtle. You know, if I walked in here and you know, I was Mr. Macho Man, you know, and strutting my stuff and really hung on myself, you could really notice that. But you know, the spiritual pride is so different. It's so different because it, 
it disguises itself. The devil disguises it. And you think it can almost be a righteous thing. We think, you know, for example, there's false humility, which is really pride, but we think it's good. We kind of think, and I was visiting with a friend the other day, and, and you're saying, oh, you know, well, I don't deserve that guy anyway. You know, he, he'd be much better off with that sister. You know, I just don't deserve them. You know what that is? That's arrogance. That's pride. It's false humility. It's comforting yourself in false humility and pride. That, oh, yes, they're so much better than me. And I don't, you know, they, they really deserve them and I don't. That's pride. That's pride. Or this is pride. The humble guy who just walks around. Bless you, brother. Oh, praise Jesus, brother. Oh, God is good, brother. You know, they're like a mouse. They never step out in faith. They never put themselves forward for God to use them. And they think that's pride and the devil's got you trapped. You think that's humility. It's not humility. It's not humility at all. James chapter 4 and verse 6. This verse has really challenged me. Brent was sharing this the other night and after he shared these, some of these things um, in our pastor's class, I thought, God, boy, God, break my life through more than you ever have in my life. Break through my life. And I wanted to pass them on to you. I was not able to really sleep very well that night as I meditated on these things and the impact that they could have on this church. The impact that they could have on you sitting out there today in that chair is unbelievable. In James chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, But he gives us more grace. But he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The point of this verse is there is more grace to be had. There is more grace to be had. There is an infinite amount of resource. Did you know in fact, brother and sister, there is so much grace that my Bible tells me in the book of Ephesians, and you can look it up to verify it, that it's going to take God all of eternity to show you how much grace there was. And I am so thankful that God is going to give me a renewed mind because you know what I'd be doing? And I'm determined that it won't happen. But you know what I'd be doing if I could? Oh God, why didn't I believe it in 1988? Why didn't I use it then? Now it's here and it's no good because I got it all now anyway. And then it could have made a difference. But you won't be able to think that way because you have a renewed mind. There'll be no sorrow. He wipes through every tear. So, can that. But we can think that way now. And I hope that challenges you. I hope that motivates you and inspires you to think, I, I want to drain it. I like to drain God's account. But you know you can. But, but I like to try. You know, I like to drain Him dry and get it all. Turn with 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety in Him because He cares for you. You know, if, you, if, you're, if you're an anxious person, you're proud. If you're an anxious person, you're proud. That is what I mean is not that you ever... I get anxious too. So please don't take that personal. I just mean, if you never go to God, you just bear your anxieties, worry, worry, worry. You know why? Because you're not humble enough 
to believe that God could really do something about it and you got to do it all yourself. And that's pride. And you know what God says here? He says, this especially strikes me as a young man and I know there's a time in my life where God really leveled me with this verse. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and, and I began to ask myself, Lord, and it seemed like whenever I got around other Christians or... or you know, it seemed like what was really important to me was what God had given me from the Word. And boy, God really worked during my time at Zap as I spoon-fed myself through a brother that is very dear to me, means a lot to me. I thought, you know, do I really esteem what, what this man has to share more than if it was my own? Well, I take this message on as my very own. Well, I allow him to groom and build and, and work in my life. You know, we all want God to work in our life. That is such a cop-out. Oh, God, oh, I trust God. Me and God. It isn't you and God. It's you and your leaders. It's you and what God wants to do in your life through His leaders. And I'll tell you, God has raked me over the coals with this principle in my life. First thing I want to discuss with you on humility, developing humility. The point is we all know it's important here, right? Humility. Humility is the bottom line for getting more grace. It is a conditional, brother and sister. It is not automatic. It depends on your humility. Now, the nice thing about humility is this. We can all do it all the time. <laughs> it's not something that, that is like, you know, it's beyond us. We can all do it. We can't all be perfect. We're not always going to walk just perfect. But we can, when we realize we haven't, be humble. We can be humble or be humiliated. And I've been both. God has done both. The first thing that you must understand is your circumstances are humbling you. I hope that you're letting them humble you. The number one thing that God is going to use in your life is your circumstances. I want to ask you, you know, I asked some of you guys in the pastor's class this, and I was really serious about this. What wouldn't you change? Is there anything that you won't change? May I ask you this? Is there anything that you would not do if God asked you to do it? Is there anything that you would not go through if God asked you to go through it? Well, I'll tell you, I've had some rude awakenings in this area. And I remember when I was waiting to get married and some of you were way back in Ames back in those years. And Jim, one of my very, very close friends, he's like my father. And I would go and he'd give me encouragement and counsel. And he'd say, Mark, every great man of God I've ever known had trouble getting married. Every great man of God had trouble getting a wife. Great trial! Moses' wife was a trial. Hudson Taylor had a trial getting Maria. Then she died. And he had two more at least. And they died. And man, I remember, you know, meeting Kathy and oh man, what a joy. It was the joy of my life. And then I remember, never, I'd never had any rejection in my life before and then I remember her parents throwing me out. Telling their daughter, I'm a drug addict, I'm a bum telling their daughter, I'm the worst guy in the world to marry. Yeah, I'll tell you what that's like. And then the two solid years after that, daily, day after day, hour after hour, waiting to honor God, to honor parents. When I had come from a background of absolute hippie rebellion, do whatever you want, whenever you want. Who are they to tell me that I can't marry their daughter? You know, God has put us together. Boy, did God work on me. I remember going to Jim and Jim, Mark, I think you should wait a little longer. All right, Jim, I'll do it. I'll tell you, it wasn't my idea. It was his. 
And I did it. I did it. And I'd go in a couple months, well, Jim, Jim, what about now? You know, we did this, we did that. Oh, we did so many things that blow your mind to honor them. Well, boy, brother, that's great. You just hang on. Remember this verse. And he'd give me a verse. I'd wait. And I'd wait. Then I remember the real test. The real test came when finally we went through this counseling course for parents. They wanted us to get counsel. So we went to this total church, never been to. Went to this guy called First Federated in Des Moines, this huge church. Her brother had gone there, got the counseling. The guy said, I have never met a couple more matched for each other in my life. Never. According to these 16-page tests we took. I hate tests. I hate them. But we'd talked so much, knew what we wanted, we answered almost every question identical. The guy couldn't figure it out. Well, anyway, I said, would you please write a letter for us to her parents? Wrote a letter. Nope, that wouldn't do it. So finally, we got Tom Allen on the phone and Jim and Kathy and I, and we all talked. He said, I've never seen a case like this in my life. Never. I have never seen a case like this in my life. Do you know I told God two years before that, three years, God, whatever you want to do in my life, I want to be whatever you want me to be. I'll do whatever it takes. You can do to me what someone else may not let you do. You take me through it. I want you to use my life. And God took me up on that. And I remember, finally, her parents saying, yeah, okay, get married and we'll come. So, oh, you know, my wife, you know how excited she was about that. I mean, you would be too if you were going to marry me, right? You know? I'm just teasing. Anyway, she was pretty excited and I was really excited to be getting married. I mean, I, I couldn't wait. Well, I mean, we, we went on her parents. We were, someone could bring me a drink of water. I'd appreciate it. We were going to get married at First Federated. We were going to have Tom Allen marry us. And all we were going to have to do was have our friend Jim be there and he was going to share a little message. That was all. And we had told them that three days before the wedding. We had invitations sent out all over the country. We were visiting with them on the phone. They said we hadn't told them that and they refused to come. They hated everything we stood for, our friends. And I knew right then, before I even went to Jim, I knew what his suggestion might be. I thought it might be better if I come up with it on my own. I, first of all, I want you to know, I knew... I knew that Paul said, he told Timothy, join with me in suffering. Do not be ashamed of my chains. I was not ashamed. I was not ashamed. I would give up house and home, sacrifice everything I have for the men of God. I will stand with them. I'll die with them. You can take my home. You can take my reputation. You can take everything. I'll stand with God's men. And I was determined to do that. My wife and I both. And then I remember in Hebrews where it says, in choosing to endure ill treatment with the people of God, rather than the passing pleasures of sin. Now I want to tell you, you'd think about the life of Moses and all the political activism today, and you would think it was out of God's will to think something like that. He could have been the next Pharaoh. So, we called up all the country and canceled our wedding three days before the wedding. And two months later, finally, three months, we got married. I wouldn't change a thing. And then I was in debt. Then, you know, I was kind of naive about I was just trusting God. And I thought, God, you know, I kind of was in this mode, you know, God will provide and everything will work out and the church will help you if you have needs, you know. And, and I mean, we're all just one big happy family, you know. Um, and we were in this car accident. My wife's in the hospital a week. I didn't have insurance. And um, it cost a lot of money. And I didn't have it. And then two weeks later, two weeks after we got married or three, Kathy conceived... I must say we had a baby. We were going to have it at home. It turned out to be a cesarean. And I was 
five more thousand, four more thousand dollars in debt. And then about 13 months later, she conceived again. 15, we had our second son. I didn't have money for insurance, you know. I was working for $4.75 an hour, doing the best I could, trusting God. And I'll tell you, God made me a prisoner in my circumstances. And then as some of you know, I was a deacon down in the church in Ames. And, and God was really revealing to me, Mark, you got a lot of needs in your life, Mark. You haven't tended the roots, Mark. That's why I'm so hardcore on this today. All I was worried about was the fruit, you know, tending the, the plumage of the tree. And one day it all fell down around me. And God really humbled me and I stepped down publicly being a deacon as the church in Ames. I didn't know what was going to happen in my life. Joseph, my favorite Old Testament story, and I read it and read it and read it. I cried and cried and cried. And, God, what are you going to do? And I remember these verses. God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace. I want to ask you, what will you let God do in your life through your circumstances? Will you be humble? Will you humble yourself? You know, there's two ways, and you're going to get them both. One is God's going to do it for you. And two is you can do it yourself. So get a double whammy and do it both. Don't make God always have to just, you know, break you, break you. Because one day if you resist too long, brother and sister, you'll be broken beyond remedy permanently. Permanent damage will be done. You keep resisting God. You keep resisting God. And so God used those experiences in my life, and I tell you right now, I would do them all again. In fact, I know that there's tougher ones up, up the road. There's tougher things. I've been reading a book called Strength for the Journey. It's an autobiography by Jerry Falwell. And it's one of the most, I've read, I love to read. One thing I do love to do, I love to read. And I've probably read 50 biographies. I've never read one like this. It's so, I don't know, it's just so exciting. It's just, it's just so challenging to my life. And he was sharing about a time in his life when at 23 years old, he came back to Lynchburg, Virginia, and the church that he used to go to was having tremendous problems, tremendous divisions and strife. And the girl that he was going to marry in the future, Marcel Pate, and her family had left the church because of some real tremendous difficulties there. And about 35 other families, and they were asking him to come and start a church in Lynchburg, Virginia with them. And Jerry wasn't sure what he ought to do, you know. It was a heart-wrenching time. He had got saved in that church. He had been discipled in that church. And God had used those men in his life in a tremendous way. And, and he had already felt like God was leading him to Macon, Georgia. And he told some friends he'd be down there. And he prayed and sought God and fasted and prayed. And then, one day he got a call from his professor at Baptist Bible College. Maybe he told him, Jerry... Then I want you to look at Matthew 18 and verse 4. Thank you, Jim. I'm sorry about that. I'm a wanderer. We need an FM one. Okay. Matthew 18, verse 4. I want you to look at this verse. This verse really challenged me in my own life in the last month. God has been really working over my heart with this verse. If I could have some more water, Charlie, please, or someone. It says... Therefore, look at verse 3. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, 
whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Tell me, do you have visions of grandeur? Would you like to be great in the kingdom of God? God wants you to be great in the kingdom of God. But you will never be great unless you become like a little child. Do you know what this meaning? you know what this saying? I want to share with you what it shared with me. God will use His Word and uniquely impress us with different things, but this is what God hit me with. I thought about my own children. You know, one thing neat about my kids is they always believe what I say, even when I'm teasing. They always believe it. If I tell them we're going to go do this or we're going to go do that, or if I tell Jesse, Jesse, come here, Daddy's got some gum, and all I want to kiss, see? And she comes on over, and I grab her. But she believes me. She came because she believed me. So I'm working on that, not to do that so much because I wouldn't always believe me. And they do. Well, I thought, you know, what we get so big and grown up sometimes, too big for our britches, that's the problem. And we, we argue with God. We go back and forth. Well, God, I don't know, you know, like this verse. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do the Father, be glorified in the Son. Oh, now, God, I just want to talk about you with that. You know, I tried that once. Didn't work. I tried it twice. Didn't work. I, I wonder, God, if theologically and dispensationally and eschatologically, it doesn't apply to this particular situation. And we go back and forth with God. You know what God's looking for? Who wants to be the kids out there? I, that's what I'd like to know. Who wants to be the kids to say, you know, Dad, if you said it, I believe it, that settles it, and I'm going to act on it. That is being a little kid. And that involves you changing. Unless you change and become like a little kid, you'll never be great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, you know, that's what you did when you got saved. Although, you know, I didn't lay that all out, the plan of salvation, pray the sinner's prayer. I didn't tell you now. You're becoming like a little kid here now, just a little baby. That's what's happening. But that's what happened. What it means is you humbled yourself before God, and you just said, all right, Daddy, God, all right, if that's what you say it is, then I believe it. No arguments about it. I believe it. And Jesus Christ came into your life right then, and you got the kingdom. Now then, if you're going to continue on, brother and sister, in your Christian life, it has got to be on this basis. It has got to be on this basis. And that takes faith. You ever wonder, you look at a person, and you think, boy, they're arrogant. Boy, you know, they really think they're something. You know, chances are, they're probably really humble. Because a humble man or woman is a woman who's not waiting around to get all the approval of everybody else. They're stepping out and they're believing these things. And sometimes, they can be a little bit intimidating. Because, you know, they're trusting God's grace and you think they're being proud. I remember, you know, I've heard a few stories. I remember guys being around Jim. And he'd walk away and think, oh, no, that guy's so proud and he's so arrogant. No, he's not. He's humble. In my estimation, he's one of the most humble men I've ever met personally. But he can be overpowering and dynamic. Just because everybody else is a bunch of weaklings. Nobody else is trusting God for God's grace. And so they think, oh, they interpret it, oh, man, that's arrogance. It's not arrogance. What do you think Jeremiah was like? What do you think John the Baptist was like? You know? Jesus was like when he took a whip and whipped everybody out of the temple. Oh, please go. Please leave. Get out of here. This is my father's house. A house of prayer. A house of prayer. Ah, Bapu, Bapu Gandhi. You know, that's pessimism. That's not God. That's not God. Jesus was a man of power. He was a man who was dynamic. He was a man of authority. And it says he spoke as one having authority. And the people never heard anybody talk like that. And I trust, 
When I first heard Jim, I never heard anybody talk like that. They got my attention. There was authority there. There was power from this book. You see? That's grace. That's a man who's walking in grace. He is a man of power. A man who's dynamic with God. And this is what God... So don't wrongly look at your brother and judge and think... In fact, really, it ought to be just the reverse. If we're not stepping out in faith, quite frankly, it's because we're proud. If we're not believing this book and stepping out in new areas of faith, saying, all right, God, I believe this promise, then we're really proud. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Be like a little child. Humility is the secret to becoming the greatest in the kingdom of God. God wants that for you. Second thing, prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Matthew chapter 17, if you will. Stand up, real quick. Stand up, please. Stand up. Put your arms way up here. We haven't got much longer, but I want you to stay with me. I really want you to stay with this. Put them up here and do this, see? Ah, oh, yawn. Now reach over like this and punch your neighbor. No, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Okay, all right. Sit back down. You think you're tired. I'm tired too. All right? Stay awake. I'm reminded. I'm reminded. I'm reminded of Jesus. I'm reminded of Jesus who came to the disciples and said, Oh, you of little faith. You know why he said that? Because they fell asleep. Oh, you of little faith. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Are you praying that right now? God, I don't want to enter into temptation. God, I do not want to miss. I don't want to fall in my sluggishness. I don't want to, I know we're tired. I'm tired too. I'm tired too. But God gives us grace. Now this is your chance right now to see grace go into operation. Grace. So let's trust Him for grace, alright? Prayer. Fasting. Matthew 17. Matthew 17. In verse 14. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long will I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Bring him right now. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that very moment. Then his disciples came to Jesus in private and said, Lord, hey Lord, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth. If you have a faith as small as a mustard seed, you can save this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be done. Nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. The NIV leaves that out. I wish they hadn't. It's down in the margin. I think that is a very important verse. Prayer and fasting, absolutely, brother, sister, reveals pride in your life or the humility of your life. It is no longer a little pleasure or commodity or, or a little fun thing, extracurricular activity that you can afford to do. It better be a part of your life. Or you'll never develop humility. Never. Never, never. Turn with me to Daniel. To Daniel. Prayer shows God that we know that apart from Him we can do nothing. God does not know that if you don't pray, by the way. I'm sure He knows that. It's obvious. You don't know it. <laughs> and that's who it needs to become obvious too. The number one need I see in the Christian world today and Christian and Christian I talk to is the prayer life. The prayer life. The prayer life. The prayer life. What is prayer anyway? You know? The prayer life. I wish, brother and sister, 
Sometimes we've been out to eat together and sometimes I deliberately don't pray before we eat. I just dive in. I wish some of you were as religious about your private prayer life as we are when we go out to eat and you want to pray over the food. Oh, I tell you, we have got to take this seriously. I've got to take it seriously. God has something He wants to say to us today. And we have got to become men and women of prayer. In every biography that I've read about, this is the common thread of all the men that God has ever used. I don't want to hear it. I'll be frank with you. I don't care if you work 90 hours a week. You better get it into your schedule or you're going to die working 90 hours a week. You need God's grace. You better get some time to get on there in the throne of grace and get some grace. God, a man's real quality of his life is reflected in what he knows maybe no one else knows. His prayer life is like confidence comes through prayer. You'll never speak boldly to men if you've not first spoken boldly with God. Never. You'll never have the courage. Now, once you look at Daniel, I want to show you that I want to couple this together, humility and prayer, so that you realize they're absolutely synonymous. In Daniel chapter 10, I won't read through all of this. Some of you know we went over this at our prayer meeting, but I wanted to hit this again. This again has been very challenging to me. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1, uh, verse 2. At that time I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotion at all until the three weeks were over. Some of you know at the prayer meeting, I'll repeat this again for those that weren't there. Daniel here is the only man I knew of who was thrown into the lion's den because of his prayer life. It was Daniel's prayer life that got him in trouble. It was Daniel's prayer that got him in trouble. And when Daniel says here that he mourned for three weeks and ate no food, he he wasn't sitting around being a ball baby. He wasn't sitting around in deep depression. He was before the Lord in humility and prayer. And I'll show you this over in verse 10. Look with me in verse 10. And a hand touched me and set my, me trembling on my knees and hands. He said, Daniel, you are highly esteemed. Consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up. For now I have been sent to you. And then he said to me, uh, as I stood trembling, then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. Your God's answers to your prayer is a response to your humility. Prayer and fasting takes a humble man or woman of God. It takes a man or woman of God who steps back from life and says, God, I absolutely believe that apart from you I can do nothing. I want to tell you, brother and sister, if it was good enough for Jesus, we better do it because He was God. And He did it for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I'm not recommending that lest we die. You might want to work up to that. But Jesus took this seriously. And Jesus spent much time in prayer. And you know the problem with us, the devil, we just think prayer is so unproductive, don't we? It's just, thank you, Lord, Lord, work and... Well, I wish I was doing something really productive like witnessing or something, you know, or, or you know, building a brother up or, or something, eating or something, doing something. I'm just praying, just talking to nobody. No, you're not. No, you're not, but it's an exercise of faith. It takes faith in these promises. Now, I just want you to know, every one of you in this room could be the greatest man or woman that has ever walked this planet. 
I believe that. I am not trying to give you hype. If you don't believe that, I question our humility. The question is, do we believe it? Will we go lay our hands on it until God does it? Until God... You know, you sisters, this is as much for you as the men. God wants to make literally dynamos out of you girls. God wants you women to be nuclear bombs. That everywhere you go, you impact people through your smile, through your graciousness. A gracious woman will attain to honor. And if you've not attained to honor, I wonder why. A gracious woman will attain honor for her God. And this is the truth. This is not a lie. And you need to ask God, God, give me great. Get serious. I hope serious as these men. I'll tell you, you sisters, I just want you brothers to know, we've got some dynamic women in this church that really challenge me. I think they can be a lesson to you men. Brent shared this with some of you, but I was just with some sisters the other day. We had a meeting for some of the student sisters and they wanted me to share some things with them, some couple that had been helpful. And I'll tell you, I was challenged. I was challenged by the Marys we have in this church. Who sit there and everything I said, write down, write down. And you get with the guys sometimes and it's like, oh, you know, let me share with you all these wonderful things I'm learning, Mark. That challenged me, man. That challenged me. We need teachable hearts. Hearts that are hungry to learn. Hearts that are hungry to be taught. Hearts that are humble. And God wants to do it with the men and God wants to do it with the women and we could rock this city. We could. Will we? That's the question. We could, but will we? Will we? Will I? I've been asking myself that, God, God, will I pray the price? Will I pay the price? Will I pray the price? Will I do it? He's only begun. This is just the beginning, brother and sister. Where? Will we put our faith? Will we go to God for grace? Will we ask Him for grace? If you fail, if you, if, you, if you falter in the day of distress, your strength is limited. My goodness, you know, we get so worn out and discouraged over the most puny things. You know, oh, I was up last night because the baby was crying. Well, what are you going to do if they keep you up for the first one and a half years of your life? I don't remember my wife getting more than two hours of sleep at a time for the first year and a half of any of our kids. I don't know, maybe someone's got a magic potion. I mean, I tried to put them in the room and the problem was we had people living in the house and put them in the room and they'd cry and keep everybody up. So I'd walk in and I was working and I'd hold them. She'd walk in we'd hold them. But you know what? You know what? God gives grace. God gives grace to do more than we ever imagined. But what we want God to do is get rid of the circumstances that enable us to get grace. We don't want them. They're too hard. And so our strength is constantly limited. Where are the men and women that are, God pour it on? God, you do it, man. You do it. You just pour it on. You just give it to me. Lay it to me, God. I want your grace. I want to be a testimony of your grace. Paul was a testimony of God's grace. Beaten times without number. Stoned. Shipwrecked. Robbed. Beat up. Sleepless. Hungry. Naked. Cold. Did he ask God to change his circumstances? No. Only once. And God said no. Three times, that was enough for Paul. He never asked again. He said, all right, grace. God, I am what I am by the grace of God. Boy, that challenged me. The third thing, obedience. Obedience. Philippians 2.8. You know this? I know you've heard it. But he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death. There is no humility without obedience. There is no developing humility without obedience. We humble ourselves by becoming obedient. This shows that we believe God's way is best and not ours. You show me an obedient brother or sister and I will show you a man or woman that God is going to pour out grace into their life. You think anybody experienced more grace in the Lord Jesus? I don't. I don't. I think he experienced more grace than anyone because he was the most humble. That's why he got exalted the highest. Don't you understand what God wants to do with you? He wants to exalt you. He wants to exalt you. He wants to make you a splendor to your neighborhood, to your roommates, to your church, to the authorities and powers in high places. God wants to exalt you. You, little old you, little old me. That's what humility is all about. Getting more grace to be exalted so God can use you. 2 Peter chapter 1, and verse 2. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. This knowledge means experiential heart knowledge of God. It comes from an obedient walk with God. We must learn what it is really like. We must learn, excuse me, what He is really like, how He thinks, how He works, and what pleases Him. Our aim in being humble is to get more grace. We must give ourselves to this kind of knowledge daily. We must pursue the experiential knowledge of God. Faith without works is dead. Faith without obedience is dead. It's dead. It doesn't mean a thing. It doesn't mean a thing. If God says to rejoice, grow in it, brother and sister, grow in it. God's not asking you to be perfect. He's just asking you to pursue. Pursue relentlessly. Weary, yet pursuing. My wife, Austin, encourages me with that verse. Mark, I'm weary, but I'm pursuing. Weary, yet pursuing. Weary, yet pursuing. Weary, yet pursuing. Go after it. Go after it. Obey. Do what God says. Fourth, this is the last one. Bear with me. I'm almost done. In order to know God, what He thinks, what to believe, what to obey, to be transformed and to have a growing faith, we must be men and women of the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Do you believe that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God? Do you know it takes humility to believe that? It takes faith to believe that. And then if you're going to develop that humility, you must obey it. Do you believe that everything's being said today is the most important thing you could possibly hear today at this time and you're, you're going to remember it because God was here and God spoke to you? Or would you rather be at the Pizza Hut right now sinking your teeth into a marvelous big topper, green pepper, Italian sausage, pizza with a pitcher of your favorite drink relaxing your mind God's word is the most valuable commodity that we can get put our hands on that you have I was <clears throat> just say this that it takes humility and it develops your humility as you continue to devote yourself to God's word I was challenged again. Like I say, one of the reasons I read biographies is they challenge me. I don't get into fiction. I don't get into fake stuff. I like the real thing. I never have liked fiction. I don't know that I ever will. But I love biographies because they, they're in that supernatural world. And I was challenged as Jerry Falwell. Uh, 
I could quite frankly, has got to be one of the busiest men in the world. And he was sharing how early in his Christian life, someone had built in him, to him a habit. You know, we're all talking about getting in the Word, getting in the Word. But you know what someone taught him? They taught him that he ought to read through the Bible every year. Every year. So, for the last 35 years, the last 35 years, he reads three chapters a day in the Old Testament, two chapters a day in the New Testament, five on Sunday, five psalms every day, and one proverb every day, in addition to his other reading. Well, what you read is what you become. And it's reflected in his life. And you and I say we don't have time. I want to tell you, brother and sister, you are not as busy as Jerry Falwell. You just aren't. <laughs> you don't have as much responsibility. You don't have it weighing on your shoulder. Thousands and thousands in the press calling you, Ted Koppel calling you, and people calling you names, and this and that and that and the other thing. As well as a family. That's pressure. And every day, faithfully, as much as possible, he's devoted himself to it. I just want you to know, it takes humility to really believe we need God that much. It takes humility to say, Oh God, I open, listen, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. I will feed you with the finest of wheat. That's God's promise. So I try to open as wide as I can, trying to get it all in, you know. And I just, and I just pour over it and go over it. And sometimes, you know, it's a challenge. I'll tell you, because as a pastor... Sometimes here's what the devil does. He'll come and maybe a saint will go, Well, Mark, what did you do today? Well, um, well, I, I read and well, I spent some time in prayer and, and I did a, some other things. And Oh, really? Is that all you did? Boy, you know, some, and sometimes it's a challenge. It, you're sitting there and you're going, Well, gee, I wish I was doing something productive. And the devil's right there. And I've had to remember that that was why the apostles, the elders did not leave. For they had to devote themselves to the Word and to prayer. The Word and to prayer. And we wonder why what happened in the New Testament happened. Because that's the kind of leaders they had. You pray for me. You pray for Brent. It is a challenge. But we're determined by God's grace to devote ourselves to it, to obey it, to do it, to step out in faith in it, to meditate on it, and to prayer. But I want you to know in your life that uh, listen, my God is not a God of partiality. Your God is not a God of partiality. God does not favor me over you. God does not want to do more through me than He does through you. He wants to do as much to anybody who will take His grace. The only difference between me and you may be that I might be getting more grace or you might be getting more than I am. It's the only difference. And there is that difference. Some of you are going to experience, some of you are going to go away today and you are going to take me very, very seriously. You're going to take God very, very seriously. And you're not going to be the same anymore after this day, February 7th, 1988. Last verse I want to leave you with is in Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66. In verse 2. Isaiah 66 in verse 2. Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord, 
This is the one that I esteem. The word esteem means to respect, to look to, to have a personal relationship with, to hold in high honor. I want this to be said of me, I, I, of each of us, that God esteems you. He who is humble and contrite in his spirit and who trembles at my word. God is concerned about what we fear. What makes you tremble? You know, what, what really motivates you? What do you really esteem? What do you spend time, brother and sister, pouring over? You know, ask yourself this, and I don't mean this, I don't want anyone, I really mean this, I've said this before, I don't want anyone here to leave today depressed. I do want you to leave challenged and motivated. But I want to ask yourself this, do you read the paper more than you spend time in God's Word each day? Do you read Newsweek magazine, Time, or any Christian periodical more through with consistency than you do the Bible? Do you watch the television, listen to the radio, meditate on music all day above the Word of God? I don't think that that is what God considers as much humility and contriteness and trembling at His Word that it's going to take to shake this world for Christ. I really don't. And I would like you to go home and just reevaluate. Reevaluate in light of these verses. Reevaluate in light of what you've heard. I don't want you to go home and be depressed and give up because that's also pride. But in humility, say, Oh God, I am willing to have you change me. I am willing to change anything in my life. I'll get up earlier or I'll go to bed later. If you're a morning person, get up in the morning. If you're a night person, then stay up at night. Don't fight. You know, let let the flesh work for you. Don't always try to go against the grain. You know, I do it at night. I love, I don't know, I think it was from Zap. I think I just got...